0: Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.
1: All right, hey, welcome to Liquid, everybody. Uh, We wanna welcome our brothers and sisters who are joining us at other campuses around New Jersey. Would you give a big hand? We're glad you guys are here today with us. Here, welcome back to Words to the Wise. We're studying kind of through the book of Proverbs. This is the Old Testament book of wisdom, as it were. And we actually have thousands of people right now who are taking the 31-day Proverbs challenge. They're reading one chapter a day of the short Old Testament book. I hope you're enjoying it. Proverbs is like super practical, intensely relevant for everyday life. We've looked at how to use wise words, build wise relationships, how to raise wise kids. And today, we're going to talk about how to handle money with wisdom in a message I'm calling Wise Money and all the air just went out of the room. Like, oh no, I came the one week we're talking about, you know, money. You know, money is a very sensitive issue, especially when it comes to church. But if you've been reading through Proverbs and the, and the challenge, you probably noticed there are dozens and dozens of verses about how to acquire wealth. And avoid poverty. In fact, as I read through Proverbs, I have started drawing little dollar signs in the margins of my Bible next to every verse mentioning uh, money. Here's a picture of that. And all told, I have now counted over 75 sections that specifically talk about how to handle wealth wisely. And when I say wealth, I don't mean like the amount of money you make or like how big a, a house you, you have or a car or what kind of car you drive. What I'm talking about, uh, the Bible doesn't talk so much about the amount of money as your attitude towards it. In other words, do you have a spirit of consumerism, like it's all for me, or generosity? Where you're like, actually, I'm blessed, so I can bless others. Because God says generosity actually is a characteristic of Christ followers if we want to live lives that are truly rich and meaningful in God's eyes, so... You can open your Bible to Proverbs or you can flip there in your phone. But I want to make a couple of disclaimers to put you at ease because when it comes to talking about money, we have three ground rules. And the first is this. This is a guilt-free conversation, so relax, all right? We're going to make anybody feel bad, or like if you're in debt, like how foolish, you know, or, or make you feel, you know, shameful or something, or we're not going to try to guilt you. You know, we've been in those churches like, well, if you really love God, you'd give more to the church. Guilt, first off, is a terrible motivator. As followers of Jesus, we don't live under guilt. We live under what? Grace. God's radical love and generosity towards us. And that's meant to inspire us, never guilt us towards a generous lifestyle. So that's ground rule number one, no guilt. But number two, when it comes to your finances, I want you to understand as a church, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. And that is financial freedom. Everyone say the word freedom. Ready? Freedom. We actually believe it's possible to live in New Jersey, uh, one of the most expensive places to raise a family on earth, and experience financial freedom if you learn to handle money God's way. The Bible has so much to say about financial stewardship, and you're going to see Proverbs, super practical. Now remember, King Solomon wrote and collected all these Proverbs, and he was like the Bill Gates of the ancient world. He was filthy rich. Solomon, there was no other ruler in human history who compared with the wealth of Solomon. But understand, his wealth was a result of his wisdom, of his divine discernment that God gave him. So we're going to outline Solomon's kind of four steps to financial freedom that you can employ starting tomorrow. Like even if you're young in your 20s or you're like old and approaching retirement or you're in the middle of struggling to raise kids, if you put these pr- into practice over the long haul, you're going to be blessed. You'll experience less stress, Uh, less debt. You'll have more peace, more contentment, because you know you're being like a wise manager of all the stuff that God's brought into your life. So this message is meant to help you. Whatever your age or income status, we don't want something from you. We want something for you, Uh, like being debt-free. If you're here today and you're like, I am in debt, uh, what would it be like next spring to sit in these same seats and say, you know what? I am actually debt-free. Praise God. Good news. A lot of people in this church are, because when you follow biblical principles of money management, financial freedom is possible. There's no magic wand. It takes discipline and hard work, but when you're debt-free, you can do some pretty cool stuff. You can be generous to other people who are in need, and we want that freedom for you. So finally, would you consider this a family conversation? If you're new to Liquid or it's your first time visiting, you get a total free pass today, okay? No need to be alarmed like, oh my gosh, I come one time and they're talking about money. You know, like, oh no, don't feel awkward. Here's the deal. At Liquid, we we talk openly about all kinds of stuff, marriage, sex, kids, money. That's just the kind of church we are. We really value practical Bible teaching that applies to Monday morning. And this is a church family. So here's the deal. If you're visiting, you're new, imagine we're sitting around a kitchen table in my house, that's like a safe place to be, talk honestly. And as a newbie, you get to kind of pull up a chair today and eavesdrop on our family conversation. You get to hear like the kind of church family we are, and there's no pressure for you, no expectations, no strings attached. Our hope is you're just going to learn something new. Does that sound good? Not with me. All right, awesome. Let's get started. We're going to go to Proverbs 23, verse 4 uh, together, And which here's what Solomon says. It's going to kind of orient us. He says, don't wear yourself out to get, what's the word, church? Rich. Rather, have the wisdom to show what? Restraint. Now, this word restraint you can circle because this is not something as Americans we're used to showing much of, right, when it comes to finances. We're a generation that grew up on bad debt and easy credit. If you think about it for our generation, what was the biggest financial story of the last 10 years? Great, re- great recession, right? It hit families hard, especially in New Jersey, but it was a crisis of our own making. If you ask the question, what caused actually the Great Recession, the biggest one of our lifetime, the answer would be Proverbs 23.4. Nobody had the wisdom to show restraint. The recession was fueled by very risky subprime mortgages, led to the total collapse of the housing market. So there was reckless lending by banks, unwise debts by families who simply couldn't afford it. And everyone was wearing themselves out to get rich, to live large beyond their means. Banks were greedy, so were buyers, were all responsible. Because we are grown up, we are taught to be consumers. In other words, we don't live within our means. We don't live below our means. We live above our means. And banks were happy to offer these kind of foolish loans, no restraint. Just to put it in perspective, all told, American households lost $16 trillion in net worth since the recession hit in 2008. Yeah, that's a lot. Look at verse 5. Look what Solomon says. He says, cast but a glance at riches and they are, what's the word? Gone. For those Shirley Sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle, all right? Imagine your house sprouting wings. Off it goes, you know? Or your car SUV. Bye-bye. Your 401k. Bye-bye, birdie, right? That's how it's been for a lot of Americans over the last decade. And if we're honest, maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, dude, I Tim, I have income problems. In it comes, out it goes. <laughs> and where it goes, well, nobody knows. I mean, where, where does it go? what God's blessed you with? It's a good question. Let's just start there. Where does the, the average American's dollar go? Well, if you're an average American, let's just say that this dollar bill represents your income, whatever God's allowed you to make, and this is how you're going to spend it. And uh, actually, before I do that, have you heard they are they're changing the face on the bills? There's a new face for all U.S. currency. I have a picture of it. Let me show it to you. Here it is. You ready? It represents the U.S. economy, all right? Just kidding. Let's say this dollar bill represents your income. You're an average American and you're like, well, where does it all go? Here's what happens to the dollar in your pocket. First 24%, the biggest section, would actually go to housing. Whether you have a home, a mortgage, a condo, an apartment, whatever it is, this is the roof over your head. It's not just the cost of like a mortgage. This would be, you know, Maintenance or your home repairs, if you have someone mow your lawn, whatever, first 24%, about a quarter of every dollar. And then you have 19%, very high, goes to healthcare. Surprise, surprise. Thanks, Obama. No, I'm just kidding. I'm being political about it. But obviously, this cost is rapidly escalating. Some analysts say it's closer to 25%. But this is your insurance premiums. You have allergies, the cost of your prescriptions. It's doctor visits. If you need eyeglasses or you go for a chiropractor or, or you know uh, your kids need braces, 19% of every dollar goes to healthcare. Now, the next category is more fun because this is, goes to your pleasure. 22% goes to recreation and your personal needs. So the clothes you wear, the stuff you like to do, if you take your family to a Yankees game, which you have to get a second mortgage to do. Uh, 22% is entertainment. This could be going on vacation. If you're going away this summer or a trip to the beach or or a vacation, 22% every dollar goes to your pleasure and personal needs. What goes in your stomach is the next category, and that is food at about 15% and that's consistent. Whether you eat out, whether you cook at home, when you go to Starbucks in the morning and give them your tithe, 15% of everything goes to your stomach, okay? This, of course, we have record obesity rates right now in America. This is not an area we skimp on. But now just take a look. Your dollar goes to your house. Here's your health. Here's your stuff. Here's your stomach. What's left? Auto. This is your ride. 17%. It's how you got to church today, right? Whether it's a beat-up Camry or it's a souped-up Lexus, 17% of every American dollar goes to our auto or truck. That includes car payments. uh, If you have a car fleece, I mean lease, um, as well as insurance, which New Jersey's super expensive. Now, is there anything left? What do we have left? Is there anything left to give God Is there anything left to give to people in need, right? Before I show you where this last little slice goes, let me tweak you a little bit because we all understand like how the front of a dollar bill looks. But if you flip a dollar bill over, every bill of US currency has four words. In fact, every coin has them as well. In what? God, we trust. That's what we say. In God, we trust. That's what we pledge. But the reality is the average American gives less than 2% of their income to helping the poor, to feeding the hungry, to serving the homeless, to supporting the church, whatever. And this is the problem. We say in God we trust, but we spend the first 97% on ourselves, And then if there's anything left over, oh, okay, maybe I'll, you know, throw a few coins someone's way. In other words, it's very difficult to be generous because we have no surplus, And I know there's nobody here today, like sitting here, would be like, I don't want to be more generous. Of course we want to be more generous. But you're like, Tim, there's a problem. Every expense is already designated on my dollar. And you're like, you know, this is just the way America lives. Newsflash. America is broke, okay? We are a nation awash in debt and runaway spending. Uncle Sam is totally busted. So you never look to government as your model for how you handle wealth wisely. It says, in God we trust, not government, amen? So we need to follow God's wisdom for handling wealth the way Solomon outlines it here in Proverbs, which you're gonna see, it's actually the exact opposite or the inverse of what our culture trains us to do. Today, I wanna outline for you four simple steps to financial freedom. And if you're taking notes, I made these very easy to remember, you can write these down. And again, it doesn't matter where you're at financially. If you're here, you're a young adult, you're starting your first job, you're just trying to pay off school loans, or your family working a couple jobs trying to raise kids. Uh, Maybe you're close to the finish line, retirement, and you're like, hey, am I going to be able to retire? How do I actually invest the years that I have left wisely? Remember, the goal of Proverbs is to exercise wisdom. The goal is not to get rich. Solomon says, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And what fear of the Lord looks like financially is understanding everything we have, every dollar in my pocket comes from the hand of God. God owns all of this. We are here for 70, 80, 90 years, and because God is your heavenly Father, he says, I am going to generously give you some. I'm going to provide for your basic needs. I'm going to provide food. I'm going to provide the roof over your head. I'm going to provide clothing. But watch this carefully. There's enormous discretion after that for you to decide how to use the rest. How much do we spend? How much do I save? How much should I give? And when it comes to money, most folks kind of assume like, here's the problem, Tim, I just need more of it. (laughs) But Solomon's not going to say that. He's going to actually say to you, you don't need more wealth. You need more wisdom. In other words, you need to be smarter and wiser about handling the money you already have if your father is going to trust you with more of it. Enter this teaching about financial freedom. Guys, financial freedom is a very spiritual issue because it is a worthwhile goal for Jesus followers. Because when you have freedom, You get to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus to people who are in need. You can help family and friends who are struggling. You can actually help even strangers who lack the basics out of your overflow. Some of you are like, overflow? What is this you speak of, Pastor Tim? You got to start small. Let me show you how this works. Let's start with step number one, super simple. Solomon tells us this if you're taking notes. He says, avoid debt like the plague because it is. Now, what is debt? Okay, very simple. Debt is choosing to buy things you can't afford with money you don't have, typically to impress people you don't even like, okay? And it's toxic. Here's what Solomon says in Proverbs 22, verse 7. He says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrowers, what's this word? Slave to the lender. Very strong language. What is a slave? A slave is somebody who has lost their freedom. Now, in America, we hear this word slave, and we intend... Instantly we think, oh, it has to do with race. No, no, no. In Solomon's day, slavery wasn't about race. It was about your socioeconomic status. In other words, the person who lent money had power over the one in debt. They actually had to go indentured servitude. If you owed me money, you had to work in my house. Maybe your family even put in chains to work for me. You had to go in prison if if you didn't pay me back. Debt is crippling. You get the image. Debt is binding. Debt is crushing. It is literally like a lead noose around your neck. Those of you who are, you have credit card debt, you know this, right? You're going to wake up tomorrow. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, right? Anyone want to guess how much the credit card debt the average American family has? Take a guess. Here in the Northeast, the average household northeast has over $8,000 of credit card debt right now. That is the highest in the nation, all right? $8,000, people owe to MasterCard, Amex, Visa. Uh, some of you, <laughs> Some of you are like, Finally, I am above average, you know, when it comes to something in church, right? That's just credit card debt. That's not like m- secured debt, like mortgages or uh, school loans. This, this is just kind of like stupid stuff. You know, I want a flat screen TV or, or whatever. And it just, I'm not shaming anybody. It's just the highlight. If you want freedom, you have to have more wisdom than the average American. Because 50% of American households right now have less than one month savings for an emergency fund. Experts recommend three to six months of savings for emergencies, but over 50% of households have less than one month. Do you know what that means? They are one emergency, one accident, one layoff from financial ruin. The majority of Americans live kind of paycheck to paycheck, and average is just like you teeter on this knife's edge of, with no financial cushion. It's very precarious. Now, if you're here today and you're like, you know, I don't know if I'm a slave to debt. I have some debt. Uh, how do I know I'm becoming a slave? A few warning signs. Number one, you don't actually know how much you owe exactly. If I asked you like right now, if you're like, yeah, I have that. uh, And I said, well, could you tell me how much within $50? And if you're like, I don't know. That's because 57% of American households have no monthly budget. They don't operate on a budget. In other words, for the majority of American families, there is no plan. There's no plan for spending, for saving, for giving generously. They just kind of wing it. A lot of families live in the land of ish. You know what I'm talking about? Colleen and I lived there for the first couple of years of our marriage. We lived in the land of ish. How are we doing, sweetheart, for this month? She's like, well, we have about 1800 you ish know, to pay our rent. Uh, like, oh, does that mean we can eat out? Well, I don't know. Did you, you know, take care of the car? We had to fix the tires and all that. Well, I filled the tank. We live in the land of ish, okay? And it's very fuzzy, and that is a warning sign you're going into slavery. Understand something. A budget is not a bad word. Budget is not a bad word. In fact, Dave Ramsey says this, a budget is simply telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went, okay? You're becoming a slave to debt if you use your credit cards to pay for basic needs. Like if you're like, well, I charge my gas because I don't really have the cash for it. I charge my coffee at Starbucks. Uh, you know, we don't have money for the electric bill. We'll just, we'll just put it on our credit card. You're becoming a slave to debt, If you miss payments, you bounce checks, or you pay the minimum on your credit cards. Credit card companies don't want you to pay them off ever, okay? Do you even know what percentage your? if if I ask you, what's the percentage of your credit card? Do you know, is it 19? Is it 21? Is it 23, 27%? This is bad debt. It is the dumb stuff that we buy early on, the clothes, the shoes, the the Ikea furniture, uh, you know, automatically depreciates because they're liabilities, not assets. And if your debt is steadily increasing, This is the most disturbing trend. The fastest growing demographic for bankruptcy right now is those 65 years old and older. At the very age, you should be kind of winding down and enjoying the fruits of your labor retirement. Those 65 and older are experiencing unprecedented levels of bankruptcy. And that's kind of frightening because that means they're past kind of the normal working age or the prime years of earning power. And just when they should be slowing down, they got to like scramble and push the eject button and start all over. So understand, when it comes to consumer debt, Solomon says, number one, avoid debt like the plague. See, if you want to get ahead, guys, you have to first stop falling behind. And the most spiritual decision you may make this spring is to actually just cut up your credit cards, (laughs) to actually stop spending. That's the kind of stuff we teach liquid families to do at FPU. This is. Financial Peace University, we offer this at Liquid. It's a course in biblical money management. It's taught by Dave Ramsey. Any Dave Ramsey fans here? He's awesome, a follower of Christ. But freedom is possible. And we teach families, you know, how to take control of runaway spending. How do you write a budget? How do you save for retirement? How do you trust the master and not MasterCard? Okay. And here's cool news this is so cool. We started offering this a few years ago. We've now had 500 Liquid families graduate from FPU, and they have eliminated over $1.5 million in debt. That's pretty incredible. Good for you. That's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. Again, as a church, we don't want something from you. We want something for you, and that's freedom. Freedom's possible. But the first step is avoiding and eliminating debt like the plague, step number one. Step number two, Solomon's going to say, is to actually save a little bit over a long time. Solomon is going to... If you read Proverbs, you probably have seen this, right? He warns repeatedly against get-rich-quick schemes, right? Do you guys guys remember when the Powerball earlier this year, the the lottery, right? It was like $700 million. How many bought a Powerball ticket? Just be honest. Show of hands. Show of hands. Okay. Okay. About a third of you are, you know, greedy. The rest of us are lying. (laughs) Right? Okay? Right? I love the lottery saying like, hey, it could happen to you. Not really. (laughs) Statistically speaking, you have a better chance of being struck by lightning falling into the ocean, being attacked by a shark, and then elected president, okay? I'm just saying, all right? then winning the lottery. Proverbs 13 says this, dishonest money dwindles away. But whoever gathers money, how? Little by little, inch at a time, makes it grow. The truth is there is no shortcut to wealth. The best wisdom is to save a little bit over a long time. So if you're here today and you are young, You're like in your 20s or your 30s. You have a huge advantage over the rest of us geezers, okay? I remember when I got my first job, I was a high school English teacher and I was in my early 20s, didn't make a lot of money. But my dad told me, said, Tim, start early, start saving now. And so every paycheck, I'd put a little bit away into, they had like a 401k, like a retirement fund. And he goes, you're gonna let this compound over time. And I was like, oh, I get it. it, like adds up. He goes, no, it multiplies. And at first I looked at it after, you know, doing this for a few months and it was very unimpressive I was like, dude, you can't even afford to go a ticket to Great Adventure, you know, let alone retire. And I honestly was like, I'm not going to even tell my dad. I'm going to stop saving and get some, you know, IKEA furniture, a futon, you know, uh, for my apartment. Guess what? That was two decades ago. And I just kept doing it little by little, building and building. And then after I got married, my wife, Colleen, kept adding more to it. And through the years, as our incomes have grown, whether it's, you know, through raises or bonuses over the years, we didn't just go spend it. You know, on, you know, furniture, on vacations, on a new car. Little by little, we've scrolled away. We've got our emergency fund now of about four months. We added to our retirement plan. And right now, we're working on a down payment on college for our kids. Because Solomon is like, you got to think generationally. Proverbs 13, 22 says this. A good person leaves what? An inheritance for their children's Children. So in other words, don't just think about yourself. Don't just think about your kids. I want you to think about your grandkids, says Solomon. This is about leaving a legacy. You don't have to be rich to leave an inheritance. We're not rich. After we paid off our debt, Colleen and I, we started saving. We've been doing this for 20 years. And we're like, hey, in another 20 years, we think we'll have just about enough. Our kids will have finished college. And then Social Security will run out. Won't that be wonderful? We have something to look forward to, Right. So if you're young, if you're a a young adult, or you've got a young family, start saving now. Solomon says, whoever gathers money, little by little makes it grow. You will be so far ahead if you start in your 20s or your 30s, your 40s, even your 50s. It is never too late to start saving for the future. Just don't wait to the end. That's what average Americans do. And that's the secret, Solomon says. Save a little by little over a long time. Again, if you're here today and you're like a financial advisor, you don't even have to believe the Bible. You'd be like, this is absolutely true, okay? Financial freedom rarely comes in a sudden windfall. It comes little by little over the long haul, which leads to the third step of financial freedom, and that is to do something totally radical and live below your means. The majority of Americans, again, let's go back to our dollar bill. They are not living below their means. They are not living within their means, They're living above their means, right? Western culture trains us to be consumers. What's a consumer do? A consumer consumes every last bite. Maybe there's two or three crumbs left on the table at the end. But that's the American way. You devour all you have, and then when you're done, you borrow even more, and it leads to ruin. Solomon says this, fascinating verse. He says, in the house of the wise are stores, extras, of choice food in oil. In other words, for people who are wise in their house, there's reserve, there's extra, there's surplus. But what does a fool do? A fool what? Devours all he has. Now, I want you to imagine something crazy. Instead of living at 100%, what if you said, this spring, I'm going to start a new way of living. I'm going to actually live below my means and cap my spending at 90%. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine capping it at 80%? Some of you are like, Well, why would I do that? Because then you'd have margin. You'd have surplus. Well, what would I do with margin or surplus? Actually, some pretty cool stuff. Because when you live below your means, it lets you be genuinely generous. You ever have this happen? You, like, run into somebody or God brings someone in your life who really has a need, like like a neighborhood kid, you know, who, like, doesn't have a father, and he doesn't have money to go to summer camp. And you're like, oh, man, I wish I could pay the tuition. That kid could go to summer camp. Or you have a family member who gets really sick or a health crisis and like their health care covers this much, and you're like, I really want to help them. But you're too strapped. You have a heart, but you have no surplus. When you live below your means, you not only have margin to help the poor, you can show God's love in incredible life-changing ways, like Rachel and Matt did. Rachel and her husband Matt had all the typical stresses, pressures of a normal family. Matt is actually a teacher, and they needed two incomes to make ends meet but then they felt God calling them to actually live below their means so they could expand their family in a very unconventional way. And that's when they truly learned the meaning of those words, in God we trust. Check this out.
0: Five years ago, my husband and I decided that we wanted to start looking into starting a family. We were pretty typical 2 income married people. We had a house, we had two new cars but a lot of it felt really empty. And so we kind of started questioning, what if we started doing things differently than what the American uh, standard life looked like? So we um, looked into adoption and then ultimately into foster care. Some of the concerns that you have when kids go back to biological parents is that you don't get to know how they are, you don't get to know if they're safe, you don't know if their situation has really improved or changed. Um, So all in all, we've had eight foster kids in the last four years, two of whom we have gotten to adopt. We noticed when we were fostering that most of our kids' mothers became parents as teenagers and we started talking about what was out there as a safety net for these young moms before their kids were removed by the state, and that's how I came upon Young Lives. During that time, I met a 17-year-old girl who was pregnant, and she was in a living situation that was less stable. So Matt and I, we started talking about um, having her move in. We knew that that meant that the plans that we had were going to be put on hold or completely thrown out. Biggest concern was finances. You know, my husband's a teacher. We're now a family of six. But we just felt like the Lord said that he would provide. And so we moved her in in June. And she had her baby in August and uh, I got to drive her to the hospital and stay with her. So I got to hold her hand while she gave birth. It's a huge privilege to walk in motherhood with her, to raise our babies next to each other. We feel like our most effective ministry is being tangible, consistent, stable. I am here for you no matter what. We wanted to help her do whatever it is that she was wanting to do, which was college. Um, We're sacrificing things for her financially, time-wise. You know, I keep the baby while she's at college. Every month there's uh, stressors, just like every other family. Um, A car breaks, or someone needs new shoes, or whatever. And every month um, we see God's power um, and His provision show up in um, small ways and huge ways. Um, Sometimes I don't know how we're going to get through the month. I'm more dependent on Him than I was four years ago. And I'm more in love with him than I was four years ago because of it. Isn't
1: that a beautiful story? Give me a hand. That's a, it's such a cool story. Did you hear what Rachel said? She said, sometimes we don't know if we're going to have enough at the end of the month, but I'm more dependent on God than I was four years ago. And I'm more in love with him than I was four years ago because of it. Don't miss that connection. When we intentionally cap our spending... And live below our means. It means you can invest in the things that are closest to God's heart. Because you've got margin. You've got surplus to spare. I know. This is a very hard choice. Solomon says it's a wise choice. And it is a spiritual choice. Because it gives you the freedom to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the people in need who God brings into our lives. So it may mean, yeah, you may have to actually cut back in one of these areas, you know, or vacation or your auto, whatever it is, to live down at 90 80%. But it will create trust. And the more you trust God, the bigger heart he'll give you for the people who are closest to his heart. Proverbs 19 says this. He says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to who? Lends to the Lord. In other words, when you give to the poor, it's like lending to God, and he will reward them for what they've done. So this is an eternity play, okay? This is about storing up treasure in heaven. According to Proverbs, one of the most foolish things you can do is spend all of your income on yourself. In other words, you are robbing yourself of the ability to be genuinely generous. And let me tell you something. The people in this church, you are sitting next next to some of the most genuinely generous Christ followers, I think, in the entire nation. Because of your generosity, God, your tithes and offerings every Sunday— we are able to help so many people in need, like feeding the poor and the homeless who are living on the streets of Newark and Patterson in New York City. In fact, this is pretty cool. A few nights ago, uh, New York City Relief, our partners in helping the homeless, they actually asked us to come to their gala and they presented us with the Gold Key Award. This is because of you. This is really for you. Because of your generosity, your faithful tithes and offerings, your church, we were able to provide over two hundred fifty. 1000 meals, a quarter million meals for homeless men and women. Yeah, praise God. That's because listen, because you live below your means, we were able to give above and beyond our means to help others. So your generosity helps us care for the poor locally. It also makes a global impact through our clean water efforts around the world in Central America and Africa. All told as a church again if you're new, something close to our heart, we have now liquid people, families have now donated over $1.75 million to provide clean drinking water to over 30,000 families who now have water for life in Jesus' name. That's a pretty cool thing, is it not? Right now, we have a big goal. We want, this is, we want Rwanda to become the first country in the history of Africa with 100% access to clean drinking water, okay? Why? Because God is generous. He's our father, and so we want to be generous as his children and as a church. But those are just like two of the places where your money is going. Remember, you can keep all this for yourself. But when God's people say, I'm going to contribute my share to God's house, we can literally change the world together. That's how the church is supposed to work. But financial freedom, guys, makes room. It makes room for investing in the kingdom of God on earth. So as a Christ follower, we say, you know what? I'm not going to be average. (laughs) I'm going to be below average. (laughs) I'm going to do something that goes against the grain of our culture and live below my means, which brings us to the fourth and final step to financial freedom. Solomon says, if you want to have freedom, avoid debt like the plague. Number two, save a little bit over a long time. Number three, live below your means. And then finally, give to God off the top. Let me go back to where we started. You see this little piece, this little slice that you may or may not have left over at the end of the month. And then we kind of like, okay, we offer it to God. Average American, less than 2%. Church-going Christian, 3%. Guys, this is the key to everything. As a follower of Jesus Christ, what did did Jesus Christ do for us? He who was rich became poor. He dies on the cross, why? To pay the debt of our sin. These are economic terms, people. As followers of Christ, we don't just consume 97% for ourselves, and then say hey god here's the leftovers. And says Solomon says instead he doesn't want your leftovers, he wants your first fruits. Proverbs 3:9 is the key teaching on this. Solomon writes these words. Honor the Lord with your wealth. With uh, say this word out loud guys. First fruits of all your crops. Now let me take a minute to explain this because I'm guessing we don't have a lot of farmers with us today. Any farmers here? People from Pennsylvania? Anyone visiting, okay? Again, Solomon's culture, most pe- this was an agrarian society. Most people raise crops or cattle or something. And few of us farm nowadays, obviously. Most of us, right, we work in an office or an industry. It's a mechanized society. But if you work for somebody, you probably receive a paycheck predictably, right? You get a paycheck once a week or biweekly or you get your paycheck end of the month. There's this predictable pattern to our pay. But in Solomon's day, there was no predictability because they were farmers and so you had all these different seasons. There were seasons of planting, seasons of waiting, seasons of harvest, and the weather was unpredictable. They didn't have, like, irrigation to protect from drought. there had no fertilizer to nourish the soil. There was no pesticides to ward off insects who could destroy your crops. So at any moment, a storm could come and just wash away your entire field. Or you could have a cloud of locusts descend and devour what you worked 12 months for. So your pay, your income was unpredictable. You're at the mercy of Mother Nature. You needed early rains to get the young plants. You needed late rains to bring the harvest in. And hopefully, if you were lucky, there were three or four harvests a year. So when the first harvest came, that was called your first fruits. When the second harvest came, your second fruits. Third fruits, you get the idea. Harvest after harvest, but you couldn't predict it. And so Solomon said to God's people, I want you to do something radical. This is going to be counterintuitive. When that first harvest comes in, I want you to give God The first fruits. Don't wait for the last ones. I want you to honor the Lord off the top with the first 10%. And this was revolutionary. The Israelites actually obeyed his command. They said, You know what? Instead of giving God our leftovers, we're going to give him our first fruits. And that's what they did. They literally brought the first fruits to the temple, or what we call the church, okay? Later on in the Old Testament, God says, Bring the whole tithe into my house, God's house, the church. So there may be food in my house. That's where we get the idea of a tithe, which literally means a tenth. That's what tithe means, a tenth. And believers are to take the first 10% of their income, their first fruits, and give it to the local church where they're fed spiritually. Does that make sense? Now, fast forward to modern life. Today, every Sunday, when people all around the world give a tithe or 10%, every time you get a paycheck, you're doing it for the same reason that people in Solomon's Day did it. Instead of God giving God our leftovers, we give him our first fruits. Instead of giving him 2%, I don't even know what you call that, a, a tooth? You know, we, we give him a tenth. Why? First off, it's worship. It's expressing our gratitude. We're just saying, God, thank you for the ability to even produce wealth. Thank You gave me the strength. You gave me the intellect, the ability, the conditions to actually earn a living. But watch. Then it's expressing trust. Because if you don't keep the first fruits for yourself, guess what? You've got to depend on God for all the rest. What is God saying when he says, give me your first fruits? He's essentially saying to you, I want you to trust me with your whole future, with all your finances. And I get it. I know. Amen. Some, some of you are saying amen. Some of you are saying, oh, no. <laughs> right? Because some of you are like, God, it's really hard for me to be generous in this economy. You know, you look at this and you're like, my home value dropped 10%. Or my 401k dropped 25%. Or I don't have much business right now. It's really slow. My clients have disappeared. The bills are coming. The future's uncertain. That's the moment when Solomon says, I want you now to give your first fruits at the most uncertain time of the year. Not when everything is all lined up, not when your investments are secured, not when all of your bills are paid. So that means even if you're trying to get out of debt, you need to tithe first. Why? Because it's better to pay your master than MasterCard. (laughs) God wants our first fruits, not our leftovers. What's the result? That's why someone's saying amen. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And what's going to happen? This is the cool part. Look at verse 10. This is the promise. Solomon says, then, you circle that word then, then your barns will be filled to, what's the word here, church? Overflowing, and your vats will what? Brim over with new non-alcoholic wine. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing, Right? overflow. It's this picture of surplus, this picture of extra. It's blessing. It's margin. It's abundance. Why? Because when you put God first and you honor him with the tithe, it invites his blessing because now he says, I can trust you, my children. It's people who said, I'm not going to keep it all for myself like this. I'm not going to be tight fisted I'm going to be open-handed towards God. And God says, now that's a child I can trust. And instead of saying, I wonder if I'll have enough, people discover often they have more than enough. Here at Liquid, guys, we have hundreds and hundreds of families who have, can testify to the power of tithing, of giving God the first 10% of their income. Every time they get a paycheck, they bring it to God's house, the church, and it has resulted in blessing in ways they could never have predicted. That's why every spring we do a 90-day tithe challenge, which is what we're opening today. We did this last year. We did it the year before, and it's to invite those of you who are holding back on your finances a chance to jump on board and say, you know what, I'm going to take God at his word. For 90 days, that's the challenge. For the next 90 days, you would be committing to tithe on your first fruits. You're going to give the first 10% off the top of your income right back to God. You tithe it to liquid or wherever you're fed spiritually, okay? And you're going to see if the truth of Proverbs doesn't come true in your life. See if there isn't more overflow. There's not more blessing. It could look in all sorts of different ways. It could be material blessing. It could be, you know, more business, but it could also be an internal peace. You actually have a sense of contentment knowing you're honoring God first. And God says, now I can trust you with more. Think about it. That's the goal of any father. If you give your kids an allowance, I give my kids an allowance. What's my goal? If I see my kids, instead of being like this, all mine. If I see them being generous, I'm like, you know what? I trust them with more. And as you put your trust in God, God will trust you in all sorts of ways. Again, he may give you a new power and discipline to get out of debt. You walk by the mall and instead of stopping, you say, get behind me, Satan. You just like walk right past the mall. That'd be amazing, right? When you give to God off the top, he blesses in ways you can't imagine like he did for Tony. Tony Chicone. Last spring, Tony was sitting in the very seats that you're sitting in today. And then Tony said, you know what? I'm going to sign up for the 90-day tithe challenge. And one year later, these are the results. Watch this.
2: I've always felt that giving and tithing was such an important part to my faith, and for some reason I would always find it an excuse, right, almost like, oh, I've got to pay these bills, I've got to pay those bills, and I always thought to myself, when I have more, I'm going to contribute more, or when I'm in a position to, I'm going to do it. And I thought to myself, if, if I'm not going out there in faith and if I'm not putting myself out there, I'm not showing God true, true obedience. And right then and there, I just decided, no matter what the situation, no matter what the cause, I'm going to contribute that 10%. It was a step of faith for me in the 90-day Tithe Challenge just because I knew it would be held accountable to something. And I knew I felt that support and the community of the church behind us. A week later, I received a phone call from a friend of mine, completely out of the blue, telling me that he knew of a salon business that possibly was going on the market. But I decided to come take a look at the salon and was utterly just amazed and blown away by what was here. We had four days to decide whether we'd take it or not, just because they would put it on the market. Um, Myself, my wife, she put it out to the prayer team. We just prayed and prayed on it. And for every reason that I didn't want to do it, it was almost like God seeking a confirmation, telling me, this is what you wanted. This was the opportunity to to help other people, to take a staff, to to take that leap in faith. And that's what we've decided to do. When I first did my business, say about 10 years ago, it was more of the idea of how big can I grow myself? What can I do? It was about me. Whereas now I notice this gift that has been given to me by God, I've got to share the gift with other people as well. What I would tell others about taking the 90 Day Tithe Challenge is don't hesitate, don't wait. There's never going to be a perfect time, there's never going to be a perfect situation, but there's always going to be a perfect God. And He's always going to know the path that He has for you. And by taking the 90 Day Tithe Challenge, you're supported by a community of people, you're supported by a cause, and you're also taking that step of faith. And there's nothing more comforting than just letting go and letting God take control of your life and your path. And you follow it. You know, I think we've done too much of trying to lead and see how that doesn't work. We need to follow and become more obedient.
1: Can we thank Tony for sharing his story? That's a, that's a cool testimony. You know what I love about Tony? He's just an average Jersey boy, right? He runs Bombshell Hair Salon, and we have hundreds of other families who could tell a similar story. Who Last spring, they sat in your seats, but they said, I'm going to take the 90-Day Tithe Challenge, and they never looked back. They actually just experienced the provision of God in remarkable ways, from getting out of debt to new opportunities at work, or the ability to save for their retirement or the kids' college, or just a new capacity to be generous to other people. So right now at all of our campuses, our ushers are gonna come forward and they're gonna pass down a card that says 90-day tithe challenge. And I'd like you to go ahead and pass it down, guys. Just take one and pass it down. Even if you're tithing, I just want everybody to have a card just so we have the sense of unity. We're in this together as a church family. And if you're like, you know what? I've never actually done this. I've never tithed, given systematically back to God, but I want his blessing on my finances. You can see we've made this super simple. This isn't even signing up. This is just saying, I want more information about it. So all you have to do is just give us your name and your email today, and then I'm gonna email you this week with more information. So this isn't like a legal binding document or something like that, okay? We're just, you're just saying, I want more information. And then after you sign up, we are gonna send you a free book. It is called The Treasure Principle. We want you to have this because this is a game changer for some of you. Some of you have been like just struggling under debt for so long, And you're like, you've tried to power your way through it. God, guys, you need the power of God behind your finances, amen? So for the next 90 days, you're gonna say, instead of giving God the leftovers, I'm gonna give him the first fruits. And the math is very simple, right? 10%, very, very simple. So if God's enabled you to earn 52,000 a year, you tithe about $100 a week. That's a $5,200 annual tithe. Now, just listen to this as you're kind of filling this out because (laughs) someone was just like, is there a guarantee? There actually is, All right. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what? I wanted to do this last spring, but you couldn't pull the trigger. This is your second chance, okay? This is a moment to say, 90 days, could I take God out of his word and see his faithfulness? Or maybe you've fallen behind, you know, in your giving or you're new or something like that. And you're like, you know what? This is my chance to catch up. Don't miss this opportunity, okay? It's really a foundational step towards freedom because God has this power to unleash discipline and blessing in the areas that we feel weak, Or trapped. In fact, we have such confidence in God's ability to bless you that we are offering the 90-day tithe challenge with a money-back guarantee. Okay, if at any—I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious about this. If at any point you're like, "I don't feel like God has provided for me," we will give you your money back, no questions asked. Okay, I'm dead serious. The proof is in the pudding. We've done this every year. In fact, because we've done this three times here at Liquid, we have now over 1,000 people who have signed up for the 90-Day Tithe Challenge. In fact, there's 1,050, I think, to be precise. Do you know how many asked for their money back? Three. Three people out of 1,000, because they you know, went through a family emergency or something. Again, no questions asked. We don't care. We're just going to give your money back. I'm not trying to sell you on this. We're just simply trying to testify to the, God's power of tithing in a believer's life. When Colleen and I started actually stop giving God our leftovers, and we start giving him our first fruits. That was 18 years ago. We said, we're going to get, take God at his word. Guys, he has proved more than faithful. I cannot even tell you how we have seen his blessing. We're not rich, okay? We live in New Jersey, all right? But we are not in want. In fact, we have been able, by his grace, to increase our generosity every year by half a percent. And our marriage and our family are blessed. We we are living in a culture and raising kids in a culture where everybody is stressed and strapped and full of anxiety, and we actually have peace because we know we're putting God first. And I'm just a normal guy like Tony in a church full of people who can tell you about the promise and power of first fruits tithing. You ask them, and they will tell you. And it all begins here not giving God the leftover tooth, but giving Him a first tenth. Amen? Don't follow the world's pattern and make God last on your list. Put him first and give him the first 10%, and it's the wisest investment you will ever make. Amen? So here's what, amen. Let's say, yeah, praise God for that. Praise God for those of you who have been faithful with your generosity. Our ushers are going to pass popcorn buckets down. You can just drop your card in there. If you didn't fill it out, you can drop your card in too. We'll just recycle that for you. But if you fill this out, your name and your email, drop it in the popcorn bucket. And then I'm going to send you information this week about the nine day tithe challenge. We made it super easy. We'll send you a free book when you sign up, but do it with confidence and joy guys. Take it from Solomon. This is the best investment you can make. As our ushers finally receive those cards right now, I'm going to invite your campus leader forward to give you final words before dismissal.
0: Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.